and Gospel on this Tuesday, August the 15th. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me will be Pastor Mark Smith as we take a look at the hymn, When in the Hour of Deepest Need. written by Paul Eber. Well, in 1524, he was returning from high school and he was thrown from his horse and painfully was towed for more than a mile, ultimately leaving him permanently disabled. Because of the illness and the frightening personal tragedy that followed, it should be no surprise that this theologian was considered second only to Luther among the Wittenberg bards, would many years later put pen to paper and would compose this hymn that speaks of great sorrows wrapped in endless days of anxious thought and helpless counsel, and yet pays glad thanksgiving to the one whose grace abounds. Paul Eber wrote this hymn in the year 1566, when the Turks raged in Hungary and the pestilence occurred in this region. He recounted several other incidents in which people were saved after singing or playing this hymn. Now, it was also dealt with at the fatal battle of Millenburg in 1547. The elector of Saxony was captured by enemy forces. Correspondence was sent demanding that the Lutheran city of Wittenberg be turned over to the Catholic forces of Emperor Charles V. But Johann Bugenhagen, the pastor of the city church in Wittenberg, 
and the one whom Eber would eventually replace as pastor gathered the people together for prayer. Bugenhagen, of course, was the pastor also of Martin Luther. So we have this hymn, when in the hour of deepest need, how familiar are you with this hymn, Pastor Smith? Well, it's got a familiar melody. Uh, it's a good hymn. It's a, it's a good hymn. It's under the uh, subtitle of Confession and Absolution. Uh, I, did I hear that right? He, the, uh, the writer, Eber, was thrown from his horse, and he was, what, dragged a mile? Is that right? Yes, a whole mile. Oh, man. And, and that's what part of this hymn was, of course, dealing with. Uh-huh. Well, we've got people, especially in congregations with older individuals who have all kinds of illnesses and injuries, and they really would appreciate such a hymn when in the hour of deepest need. We also have our favorite lady who translated this. Catherine Winkworth. Yes. Well, yes. I wonder how many she did. She she did a bunch of them, didn't she? Be, yes. It'd be nice to know how just how many. It must be hundreds. Well, a lot of them are in the hymnal. She just had a good way of moving from the original language, this would have been German, into English. So, without further ado, would you read and help us with the first stanza. Okay. When in the hour of deepest need, we know not where to look for aid. When days and nights of anxious thought, no help or counsel yet have brought. So this is something that a lot of people go through in the congregation. They feel they have a great need and... They pray to God, and nothing really happens. This this could be part of the gospel lesson from Matthew 15. Do you know what that one's about? Let's see, Matthew 15. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to look at the lessons yet, Tom. Okay, this is about the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus and wants her daughter severely oppressed by the demon to be healed. Oh, yes. That's a good one. That's a good uh, uh, gospel reading. Yes. And Jesus answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, she's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. Right. And yet, he still heals her. So was Jesus wrong when he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? No, uh, no, he was, uh, it was first, the gospel was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But nevertheless, uh, he knows, he knows already in advance about this, about this poor woman, uh, this uh, Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite, and uh, he's, He's testing her faith, and she she passes with flying colors. She has great faith. Well, why does he say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? 
Well, that was God's original plan was to first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Later on, of course, uh, Jesus gives us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. But uh, but uh, in the beginning, uh, the gospel was intended first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But wouldn't Jesus have known the Bible book Jonah, where he went to the Ninevehs? Ninevites, yes, of course, yes. And there's also the example of uh, Rahab. Uh, she was a woman from uh, Jericho. And uh, Ruth, Ruth also was a Moabitess. And, right. uh, and she was, uh, she became the, what, the great-grandmother of uh, King David. So what we have here, it seems like Jesus making a mistake that he was not Ooh. sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. No. No, he's he's uh, uh he's testing her faith. But it is true that uh the gospel was intended first for the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That is that is the, that was the plan and yet God uh, not to the exclusion of the Gentiles Later, they, they too would uh, be reached with the gospel. Well, I've got a different interpretation than you have, because he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep. So he is excluding. But okay, how would you? Okay, go ahead. I would go to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, where guess who is? Israel. Well, of course, we're uh, those that believe. Exactly. Uh, we, we are reckoned. We're, we're uh, sons and daughters of Israel. So she faith. is part of the house of Israel. That is right. Because of her faith. And so he's not testing her faith as he is testing the, the faith of of the disciples, because she says to him right away, Lord, son of David. Right. That's so a messianic term. Faith. He realizes yeah, that, that. And that's yeah, I why. Think that's an excellent, I think that's an excellent point, Tom. Yeah, that's uh, why Paul makes a distinction between the two kinds of Israel. Those who are just born of Abraham and those who are also of Isaac, those of the promise. She yeah, was when of the she promise. Says, when she says son of David, that is, uh, that's a messianic uh, ter term. That, that tells very clearly that she yeah, believes I Jesus got no is... problem with her having faith. Neither right. is Jesus. But you know what my question is going to be to the congregation beginning this sermon is please put your hand up if you are of Israel. And guess what? Nobody's going to put their hand up. Oh, I don't know about that. Because they think they're Gentiles. Well, I think, I think uh, more and more of our people realize that, that Israel is the church. But even you got a little confused there, saying that, no, 
Jesus was talking about those who were first. No, he, no, he wasn't. He's talking about the lost sheep of Israel that included Gentiles. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll let you know. Okay. All right. I'll read stanza two. Then is our comfort this alone, that we may meet before your throne. To you, O faithful God, we cry for rescue in our misery. Now, this second Here's, verse, he's it, asking that we may meet before his throne. What yeah, it, occasion is he talking about? Uh, you know, the, the, I have a question about that. Here's where I would maybe quibble with Catherine Winkworth a little bit in her translation. Why does she say that we may meet before your throne? Why didn't Why didn't she say that we will meet? That's the promise that we will that we will indeed meet before your throne. There's no may to it. Uh, I, I think I think that's uh, that's talking about uh, uh, Judgment Day, right? Yeah. No. Okay. See, that's where I would say it's so different. We bring people to the throne every Sunday. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I hear you. I know. I understand now. Right. There's where uh, we may meet before his throne. Okay. If you don't come to church, you're not going to meet before his throne. And that would explain why it says it's, it, this is for confession and absolution. Well said. Well when said, we come yes. for, When we come to confess our sins and be absolved of our sins, that essentially is G coming to Jesus before his throne. Excellent, excellent point of view, yes. And um, therefore, we come before his throne because of the last part of that verse. To you, O faithful God, we cry for rescue in our misery. In other words, he is, you've already mentioned this, Mark, he's faithful in his promises, isn't he? Absolutely, absolutely faithful. And that continues in verse 3, if you would read that. For you have promised, Lord, to heed your children's cries in time of need. Through him whose name alone is great, our Savior and our Advocate. Yes. In contrast to a prosecuting attorney, which the devil is, Jesus is our advocate or defense attorney. And he has promised to heed your children. When we had our three children, they, of course, were sleeping in a different room. And let's say they're, oh, two months old, and one of them starts crying. And I would say to Louise, well, let's wait until he grows up so he can tell us why he's crying. Or would we go right into the room? You go right into the room. Exactly. And that was very, very important. Jesus comes into our room, which is the Holy Christian Church. Because he's made a promise. And do we welcome him? Stanza four, please. And so we come, O God, today, and all our woes before you lay. For sorely tried, cast down we stand, perplexed by fears on every hand. 
Now, that's really an interesting imagery that we stand before God even though we are perplexed by fears on every hand. Even though we're we're cast down. Even though we're cast down, we stand. Yes. Yes. And cast down. A good example of that, of someone who stood there before the Lord. Remember that parable about the, well, tax collector and the Pharisees? Yes. What did the tax collector, he bowed to the ground, but in reality he was standing before God, whereas the Pharisee was not. Right. Yeah, that's right. He, he, uh, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But he's the one that ended up going home that day forgiven. Yes, because that's a very important point of sermons. We try to tell the fears that people have in order that they, though are perplexed, will be able to stand before God himself. That's what verse 4 is talking about. And so what do we ask primarily from God according to stanza 5? Oh, from our sins, Lord, turn your face. Absolve us through your boundless grace. Be with us in our anguish still. Free us at last from every ill. Now, this was written by Paul Eber, who was severely injured when he was dragged by his horse. But he also had the Roman Catholics fighting against the Lutherans in Wittenberg. And so that became a very important city. Uh, Wittenberg is even used today by Lutherans. We have a group over there still preaching the message of Jesus Christ that Luther rediscovered in the book of Romans. And so the greatest message is that we are absolved what does that mean that we are absolved? Forgiven. We are yes. made free of our, of our sinfulness. Exactly. Declared righteous. That God no longer holds us accountable for our sin. Who did he hold accountable? Anyone who is uh, unrepentant. But who did he hold accountable for our sin? Uh, oh, his own son. His own yes. son was uh, was offered up in our behalf. Yes. Yes. And we know he was held accountable because what were some of the words he said from the cross, beginning with, my God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was suffering the very pangs of hell itself as yep. he hung on that cross. His own heavenly father had... Uh, turned away from him. Now, that is spoken of in the Aramaic. Much of the Bible is a translation of Jesus' words from the Aramaic to the Greek. But in this one, they also kept the Aramaic. I, I looked that up, and when he says, why have you forsaken me? It really means, why have you left me alone? And he was left alone 
to suffer the sins that we had done. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I've I've often thought. I think our Lord was extremely in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was extremely sorrowful, even to the point of death, because he knew that on the morrow, as he hung on that cross, his own dear heavenly Father would uh, would turn away from him and forsake him. That's a good point. A lot of people think that he was worried about the cruelty of the cross, but that is something that many Jews even went under because of the Romans. The real cruelty was being left alone. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't left alone. An angel came to help him, but not at the cross. Yeah, that's what hell is. Hell is uh, suffering. It's utter God-forsakenness. Well said. So we have a response to that, if you would read Verse 6. So we, with all our hearts each day, to you our glad thanksgiving pay. Then walk obedient to your word, and now and ever praise you, Lord. Yes. As you said, this hymn is one of confession and absolution, which really is talking about the life of sanctification where we love to follow the will of God. And that's why we walk obedient to his word. We don't walk obedient to his word in order to be saved. We walk obedient to his word because we have been saved. Yes. And it's quite a difference. Yeah, I'm getting ready. After I leave this uh, broadcast, I'm we're driving down to the church uh, for Bible study. And I'll, I'll tell you what, now that I'm retired, it's every time that I make it to church, whether Bible study or the church service or fellowship, that is the high point of my week. I thoroughly enjoy it, especially now that I'm retired. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you very much for helping us with when in the hour of deepest need i'll definitely be using that for our worship services this week and tomorrow we'll be continuing with a study on the book of proverbs i'm pastor tom baker and you also have been listening to pastor mark smith continue to listen to law and gospel each morning at 9:30. god bless you Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.